Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke to chapter 1, verse 39. We are continuing in our exposition here in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 39. Luke writes, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent empty away. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray together. Good and gracious Father, would you by your Holy Spirit shed your light upon us in this hour that we may see and believe the promises you have given to us in your word. Give us greater and stronger holy desires to trust Christ more. Give us the grace as we open the book would the risen Christ speak to us today, in whose holy name we pray. Amen. One of the unique features of Luke's Gospel is that its first chapter is comprised of a series of different events all before the birth of Christ. Multiple stories are given to us of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and the angel Gabriel prior, prior to the Incarnation. Well, we know Luke was a historian, and so he had to investigate and interview multiple witnesses to compile his gospel. He has told us at the very outset in chapter 1, verse 3, that he had followed all things closely to write an account that was orderly. And so his research yielded a good deal of information concerning the context of the Savior's birth. And we find that much went on prior to His coming. But for all that was taking place, whether it was in the temple in Jerusalem, or in the small village of Nazareth, or in the hill country of Judah, the person of Jesus Christ has been the center of it all. He is the main character in all of these narratives. That in the various activities of men and women, and even angels, Christ, though He has not yet been manifested in the flesh, and revealed to the world, He is yet the focus. 
This is, after all, the gospel not of Zechariah or of Mary, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we turn our attention to what we've just read here in the gospel of Luke, notice that for Mary and Elizabeth and the baby that resided in her womb, Christ was not merely the focus, but the very object of their worship. Christ was the object of their worship even before they were to lay their eyes upon Him. That is astounding. That is faith. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That even before the birth of Christ, we see them submitting themselves to the Lordship of Christ. Christ is the subject of their adoration and praise. Christ is the substance of their joy and their affection. Which is to say then, church, we were made to do the same. We were made to worship Christ and no other with all our being. And I think what ought to give us pause is the fact that even before taking His first breath out of the womb, Christ, Christ was drawing people to Himself. And what ought to be imprinted upon our hearts here in this narrative is the kind of Savior that we have in Jesus. One that causes Mary to sing, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Well, that is Luke's objective for us this afternoon, that we would be so utterly impressed by Him. And that out of the overflow of our hearts, we would sing. And he wants us to see that here through two means. And the first is what the early church called the visitation. In verses 39 through 45, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And the second is called the Magnificat, the Song of Mary here in verses 46 through 55. And so we're going to take a look at these two sections, the Visitation and the, the Magnificat, which will serve as sort of a broad outline for us. Well, as we resume the narrative here in chapter 1 of Luke, we find that after the angel Gabriel had given the announcement of the Christ to Mary, she did not linger. She did not waste any time. But she went, verse 39, into the hill country of Judah, and that with haste. We're told very pointedly that Mary went in a hurry. Now, we might ponder as to why Mary was in such a rush to leave her home when she had just received this incredible news. An angel from heaven had just given to her the greatest announcement ever to be given in all of history that she was to conceive by the Holy Spirit and bear the Son of God. And you would have, we would think that there would have been a great celebration. But Mary immediately leaves her house in the small village of Nazareth to the hills of Judah. Well, why didn't she stay? What about her parents? Did she tell them? Now, we don't know, and this is all conjecture, but think about how she was going to reveal her pregnancy to her parents. Mom, Dad, I've got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. And you can very easily see the response she would have received from them. What? You're not married yet. The wedding hasn't even taken place. Where's Joseph? It's not his baby. 
It is, but technically it isn't. Well, what do you mean then? Whose baby is it? The Lord's. Actually, the baby is the Lord. He's the Lord of Lords and he's the King of Kings. And you could just imagine her parents, are you crazy? How do you know this? And she would have said, I know it's been about 400 years since God has spoken to his people, but he spoke to me through his angel. Now, we don't know if that conversation took place, but what we do know is that it appears Mary was determined to seek comfort not in her home, but someplace else. That her rejoicing of the news took place not in her home, but in the home of another. Again, we don't know anything about Mary's parents. But think with me for a moment, church. What a tragedy it would have been if Mary was unable to go to her mother and father to share the good news of what God had done to her. If Mary, desiring to talk about the spiritual things, the eternal things, was afraid to do so with her own parents. And let me say that that is not uncommon in households that profess to be Christian. Parents, here's a question to think about. Would your children feel comfortable about coming to you to ask you about the things of God? And if not, why? Is it because the things of God are not regularly talked about in your house? What a devastating thing it would be if your child in wanting to share the news of what God was doing in his or her life was unable to because he or she thought it would be of no interest to you. Parents, one of the most important questions we have to ask ourselves is what kind of spiritual atmosphere is being created in our homes? What kind of spiritual air are my children breathing? And the truth of the matter is that they are breathing secondhand with what we do with the things of God in our homes. Whether life is lived consumed with God and in communion with God or altogether neglected. And that air will either be good and godly or it will be toxic. One of the classes that the pastors are planning on providing for our adult curriculum is on the family, which is a necessity for, for all of us, for me, for you. Now again, we don't know what went on in Mary's home, but there was an urgency for her to leave and to go to the house of her cousin Elizabeth. And for Mary to go to the house of her older relative, she traveled south about 70 miles. There were no taxis, no trains, no Uber, this young teenage girl, around the age of 12 or 13, traveled down from Nazareth on what was about a five-day journey into the hill country to a town in Judah. It was not safe. It was risky. It, it was dangerous. She had to walk through harsh terrain. She was vulnerable to animals and beasts. She could have encountered people that may have wanted to harm her. Well, what kind of person, teenager, takes such a hazardous journey to visit with another person? And the answer is this. 
One that desired more than anything else to fellowship. The angel in revealing to Mary that she would be conceived by the Holy Spirit also told her that her cousin Elizabeth had conceived in her old age. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And so for Mary, God had done the impossible not only in her life, but also in Elizabeth. God was doing something in her as well as her cousin. And in Mary's mind, there was no way in which she was going to withhold that good news. But also even hear about her cousin's good news. There was mutual blessing. Grace had come down to the both of them. And this young girl wanted to share what God was doing in her life. And at the same time, hear what God was doing in her cousin's life. And so she goes on a dangerous journey without hesitation because Mary needed to see Elizabeth. She needed to fellowship with her. And notice when she gets there how excited the both of them, the both women were to see each other. There is joy and gladness and thankfulness. I imagine Zechariah was excited as well even though he was still unable to talk. And it appears by the next chapter that he had found a better way to communicate than his hand gestures. He had used a writing tablet. So I imagine, kind of said something like this, Hi Mary, it's good to see you. But when Mary enters into the house and greets her cousin Elizabeth, something amazing happens. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, whom the angel had told Zechariah to call John, leaps, leaps in the womb. This wasn't just a baby kicking or a baby moving, which was normal to experience by the sixth month. But we're told, verse 41, that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Well, what is going on here? You see, even this child in the womb, John, couldn't help but respond when he encountered the Christ. I believe Mary at this point had conceived possibly sometime on her journey. But John, in utero, responds to the presence of the Son of God, though he was in small embryonic form. And not only is the baby overcome with joy, but Elizabeth, verse 41, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And look down as to what she says next. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Here, Elizabeth recognizes that the one who was to come from Mary's womb wasn't just her nephew, but her Lord. That in her cousin Mary's womb was her Lord and Savior. Beloved, this is a scene that is worthy of our attention. There is joy. There is leaping. There is a filling of the Holy Spirit. There are blessings. Here are these two women encouraged by one another, rejoicing and rejoicing, not simply over the fact that they were both expecting, but in a 
considerably far greater degree in the salvation that was coming, which they have been included. That's why they're rejoicing. These two women rejoiced over the joy of the gospel. Here was pure fellowship. A kind of fellowship in which Mary risked her her own safety to experience. And you see, Mary knew what was more important for the well-being of her soul. It was to be with another kindred sister, another person who felt about the Lord how she felt about the Lord. Now, what I love about the fellowship here in which these two shared is that though they had such similar hearts, they were so different in age. Mary, in her early teens, 12 or 13 years old, while Elizabeth was likely four times the elder. And yet when you read Luke's narrative, you won't even notice. But despite the fact that they are decades apart, it didn't matter. All that mattered was that they were together embracing one another and enjoying the fellowship they shared over God's salvation. If you're a Christian here, do you covet and long for that kind of spirit-filled fellowship? Maybe the better question is, like Mary, are you actively seeking for it? You see, we were made to worship, but we were made to worship together, which is why living the Christian life can only, can only be done in, in the body of Christ. The church and the fellowship of it is so imperative in our lives. That we might walk with one another and share our burdens with one another, encourage one another, rejoice together, and even weep together. Attempting to isolate yourself from the fellowship of other believers is the clearest recipe for disaster in your Christian life. Nothing good can come out of living in seclusion and in the private shelter of your life. It will not help you. It will only harm you. The fellowship of God's people is an indispensable part of our lives. And yet it may be that some of you here still continue to believe that life alone is still better. That to withdraw from God's people is safer. Well, can I ask you, are you, are you growing in love and faith for the Savior? Are you, are you increasing in holiness and maturity? I bet my life that the answer is no. You need the body. If you're a member of Christ's body, there's no life apart from it. And I want you to notice that in Mary's life, it seems as though God had always provided someone to encourage her when things got difficult. Here was Elizabeth to reassure her of the announcement in which she had been given by the angel. She needed reassurance. And so Elizabeth encourages her. She says, blessed is she who believed Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. But Elizabeth isn't the only one who comes to encourage her. You don't have to turn there, but if you go to Luke chapter 2, when Mary brings Jesus to dedicate the baby and present him in the temple, Simeon reveals to her some very sobering news. When he says to Mary, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul also. But notice who was there in the temple to encourage her. 
It's Anna, the prophetess. And then there would come the time when Simeon's words would come to pass as her son Jesus was crucified on the cross and Jesus looking to Mary, knowing the pain in which she was dealing with, says, woman, behold your son. And looking to the disciple whom he loved, behold your mother. We were not made to be alone, but to worship and live for his glory together. And even David in Psalm 22 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. One more point of application, and it'll be quick before we move into Mary's song, and it's this. While Mary and Elizabeth both enjoyed the fellowship they had shared with one another, despite the difference of their age, Mary the younger went to seek out Elizabeth the older. In other words, there was a dynamic here in which Mary chose to visit Elizabeth. Younger ladies of the church, I encourage you to seek out the counsel and the wisdom and the fellowship of not the older, but I would say the more seasoned ladies of the church. (laughs) I need to be really careful here lest I offend. Maybe I already did. It's all good. Well, let me say to you, more seasoned ladies of the church, The New Testament gives us a gospel mandate that older women ought to be discipling younger women. It says there in Titus 2.4, to train the young women to love their husbands and their children. Women of the church, are you investing in training up and discipling and growing the other women of the church? And if not, why? You might say, well, I'm... I'm intimidated by them. I've heard that before. Well, great, because they're probably intimidated by you too. Problem solved. But I think the more common hesitancy is that you may not feel adequate and capable in such a task. Well, who is is sufficient for these things? You see, the Lord, He just wants our faithfulness. And that is what matters, faithfulness. Notice now as we move from the visitation to by Mary that she secondly responds with the Magnificat. And Mary said in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary responds to Elizabeth's encouragement by offering up a song of praise. And that's what this is here. It's a song that has been sung since the days of the early church. And Mary's song is called the Magnificat because it's a title taken from the first word of her song in Latin, magnify, magnify. Mary, having the reassurance of God's word to her from Elizabeth, erupts in worship to her great God. Now, there's a few things that I want to highlight for us here. And the first is that this song is really the first of four songs or four hymns in the narrative of the Nativity of Christ. Mary's Magnificat is followed by Zechariah's Benedictus or Blessed. And you'll see that at the end of chapter 1. And then on the evening of Jesus' birth, the angels sang to the shepherds in the field, Gloria in excelsis Deo. And the fourth hymn is sung by Simeon in the temple, Nunc Dimittis, which means now depart. 
in which Simeon declared, after having seen the Christ, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. What we have here, according to an old commentator, are the last of the Hebrew Psalms and the beginning of Christian hymns. And Luke is the only gospel writer to provide for us this hymnal. You see, the gospel is and must be musical. I'm not saying that we need to put on a musical like Jesus Christ Superstar. God forbid. But what I mean is that what God has done in Christ for the salvation of sinners demands to be praised. The gospel must be praised and sung and resonated from our lips. It is not enough to simply state the gospel, but we must sing the gospel. God must be praised for the saints will be with the heavenly host for all eternity praising Him. Luke's gospel reveals to us that the people of God sang and praised God concerning the impending arrival of the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, gratitude for His grace had so swelled their hearts, had so filled their souls that they couldn't help but sing. And God gives to us, church, the gift, the gift of song. He does so so that our souls would be elevated to the highest level possible. That's what happens when we sing. Our hearts, our souls are brought to its fullest expression. But there's another thing that songs do for us. As we sing, we're able to slow down and think more deeply about what we're singing. Mary's song and the rest of the other songs, they are written like Hebrew poetry. The Psalms, you know the Psalms in the Old Testament, they're written in Hebrew poetry. And what poetry does is it forces us to slow down. And when we slow down, we're we're able to think about the words. Savor the words. Let the words affect and minister to our hearts, which is why it's so imperative not only that we sing, but that we sing songs that are good and true and right. Songs that teach us and not confuse us. Songs that make much of God and less of ourselves. Songs that magnify Christ and minimize us. And this was Mary's song. Secondly, I want to point out that Mary's song has been much scrutinized by so-called biblical scholars to say this, that a poor, uneducated peasant girl could not have possibly written such a poetic masterpiece. There's no way. There's no way that a teenage girl could have composed such rich theology. It was someone else. These words came from someone else, but not Mary. They could not have been any more wrong. You see, Paul's principle holds true here. That God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. How is it that a poor, uneducated peasant girl was able to express such a song? Well, notice we take her words at face value. She tells us herself, she said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul, my spirit This song came from her. It came from her inward being, from the the very depths of the inner recesses of her heart. And when she sang, notice the content. 
when we take a look at Mary's song, she didn't take her words from any one part of the Old Testament. In other words, her song is not found in a certain place in Scripture. But her song has been taken from all of Scripture. Her song is absolutely filled with the whole of Scripture. There are clips and bits and pieces of Scripture throughout the whole song. Just listen as I take you through a list of references from her song. Verse 46 references Psalm 34, verse 3, Psalm 69, 30, and 35, 9. Verse 47 directs us to the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 18. Verse 48 comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 11. Genesis, chapter 29, verse 32. Verse 49 is from Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 21. Psalm 24, 8. Psalm 111, verse 9. Verse 50 references Psalm 103, verse 11 and 17. Verse 53, Psalm 107, verse 9. Psalm 146, verse 7. Verse 54, Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. Psalm 98, 3. Verse 55, Genesis 12 through 7. 17, 7 through 8. 22, 15 through 18. And Micah chapter 7, verse 20. And it goes on. And that list is not exhaustive. Do you see what is happening here? Scripture had so filled her heart. The word of the living God was so seeped within her mind that when she went to praise God, all that flowed out was Scripture. And you see, she was only able to do this because Scripture was written upon her heart. The Word of God had filled the storehouses of her soul. And so when she heard the plan of God's salvation, she was able to offer up to God her highest praise by singing God's truth back to Him. You see, Christian, when we know the Bible, it becomes the song of our hearts. Mary was a Psalm 119 kind of teenager who with the psalmist cried out, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. But there is one passage of Scripture that Mary found close and near to her heart. And it's the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And Pastor Dave read it for us as we began our service. Hannah, if you remember, was barren. But was shown the grace of God and the granting of a son named Samuel, whom she gave to the Lord. Listen to her song. She said, My heart exalts in the Lord, and my strength is exalted in the Lord. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. Their two songs are not the same, but similar. And you see, Mary had not only found encouragement from Elizabeth, but from the pages of Scripture in Hannah. A Christian believer, there, there ought to be the daily exercise of saturating yourself with Scripture, the everyday devotion of storing God's Word in your heart, to delight in it, to bathe yourself in it. You see, when the Word of God fills the storehouses of your heart, your prayers begin to change. You begin to pray Scripture. Your, your thoughts throughout the day begin to change. You begin to think in a way that is holy and, and pleasing to Him. Your, your words begin to change. What you say and how you speak to your spouse or your kids or your coworkers, it begins to change. 
You speak less harshly and more gently. You, you edify instead of put down. You encourage instead of dishearten. When Scripture gets written upon your heart, God, by His Spirit, crafts you into the person He has called you to be. You begin to live the Christian life, and hear this, with joy. With joy. What we find in Mary and Elizabeth, and you could even say from John the Baptist, even before he baptized anyone, was joy. We can't walk away from this narrative without seeing that. Mary rejoiced in God her Savior. She magnified the Lord in her soul. Something is inherently not right for the Christian to live out their lives in this constant woe is me kind of disposition. How can we say woe is me when the holy and living God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing possible in Christ? Which is to say that He has exhausted all of His blessings to us in His Son. How could we receive such grace and be not satisfied? You know, I don't know what teenage girls were like in Nazareth, but I could imagine that while Mary's contemporaries were searching for something material, something within themselves, something superficial, Mary found her soul's satisfaction in the knowledge of her God. That while other young girls were wandering about life without direction, without purpose, Mary was so sure of what God was doing in her life and what God wanted from her. She was a servant of the Lord. She said it after receiving the news of her conception. She said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And here as she sings, she declares, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She knew exactly who she was. While others may have been so confused, she knew not only who she was, but whose she was. She belonged to the Lord. She was a servant of the Lord. The Lord was her treasure. You know, in, in, in a world that seems like a, a, a huge marketplace with misplaced price tags, where people are confused as to what is of value, Mary was not confused. She knew what was of everlasting treasure. Now thirdly, I, wanna, I want you to notice that Mary's song consists of a great reversal. She says, while the Lord has looked upon her humble estate, verse 51, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent empty away. Notice, there is a reversal here. Mary, in lifting up her voice to God, praising Him for what He has done in, in the giving of the Son, tells us that things will no longer be the same. Things will no longer remain status quo, but that God, in bringing about through His Son, He is bringing about a great change. Simeon, in chapter 2, said, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel. What did he mean? And what is Mary singing about here? 
that God in Christ is coming to exalt the humble and to humble those who exalt themselves. To lift up the humble and at the same time humble the proud. That God reaches down in mercy, lifting up the humble. And Mary was an example of that. Here was a lowly peasant girl from Nazareth who was poor on the outside, but more importantly, she was poor in the inside. Mary knew herself to be a sinner, which is why she praises God as her Savior. She's not simply praising God here because God had granted to her a child, no. But for saving her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary was a sinner just as much as anyone else. Yet by His grace, God had saved her. God saw her lowly condition and saved her. And this is why she is magnifying God. And what she's saying here in this song is that what God has done for me personally, He is going to do for others. Notice, not only has He looked upon me in my humble estate, but He will exalt all those who are humble. Verse 52. You see, church, Mary's song here is the gospel. That God comes to those who are needy and poor and humble. That His mercy reaches down to those who feel themselves to be in ruin. Jesus said in Luke 5, it's not the well that need a physician, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This is the gospel. This is the great reversal that Christ brings about in bringing salvation to sinners. He will exalt those who are humble and humble those who exalt themselves. And notice that God by His Son will overthrow the proud. Those who are proud in their intellect. Notice we see that in verse 51. The proud and the thoughts of their hearts. People who think they're just too smart, too good. He will destroy those who are proud in their position. We see that in verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He will sever those who are proud in their wealth and in their money. We see that in verse 53. The rich he has sent empty away. You see, for the proud, for those who take no account of God, God will bring down. But the lowly, the needy, the broken, those who are poor in spirit, God will lift up. Jesus says it Himself in Luke 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is why if we were to keep on reading through Luke, and we'll get there, the prayer of the Pharisee is denied. It's denied. But the sinful tax collector goes home justified. That's a reversal. And not only is this a gospel principle, but it is the gospel path in which Christ Himself took as He humbled Himself to be draped in the garments of our flesh and then to endure the painful and shameful death on the cross. But God exalted He who humbled Himself by raising Him from the dead. And non-Christian, that gospel call is given to you to respond. That you might come to Him empty so that He may fill you. That you would look to Christ 
having no merit of your own, having nothing to boast of yourself, but to look to Christ to save you, to save you from His wrath, from the wrath of God. That you would turn away from yourself and turn to Christ. Christian, that gospel principle ought never to end for you and for me. Are, are we ever not in need of God? You, you see, God only satisfies those who are hungry for Him. And when we fill ourselves with the pleasures of this world, when we feel ourselves not in need of God, when we are proud, He sends us away empty. But if we humbly seek Him, He will satisfy. If Mary's song had a different title, it would be the God who satisfies. Now before we close, notice Mary didn't just sing, but she believed in the words in which she sung. Notice she sings here. Notice it's all in the past tense. You Notice that? Isn't that kind of odd? She has not given birth to her son yet. Outside of that little house in the hill country of Judah, nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. The proud, they were still in power. Yet Mary, Mary believed. And so believed that she sang as if God had already done it. Church, would would we sing and would we believe what we sing? That we would sing with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord for my soul is satisfied with Him. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, You have assured us in Your Word that You have given to us all things. You have given to us all the riches in Christ who is our life and our salvation. Yet we confess that we often go about our lives joyless and dissatisfied and distracted with the things of the world. We are no different than our spiritual predecessors who grumbled and complained despite having been given food from heaven. Forgive us for our discontentment when you have given us not food from heaven, but Christ Himself who came down to us to give Himself for us. Give us a renewed spirit that rejoices like Mary rejoiced. Help us to praise you in plenty and in want. Help us to worship you in provision and in affliction. Do that in us by your grace, we pray. In the name of our holy God, who is three in one and one in three, Trinity and unity, we pray, amen.